Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to week six of our fantasy basketball podcast. We are approaching the halfway mark of the season. So today, myself, Dom, and Jeff are going to talk a little bit about who you should be monitoring in the trade market. Trade deadlines should be coming up in most leagues. So we're going to talk about some players that you can buy or sell, and we're going to play our favorite game, Would You Rather? So without further ado, I would like to turn this over to Dom first. I want to know the first guy that you want to either sell or buy if you have him on your fantasy team. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to start with my sell. And this one was pretty straightforward for me. If I'm an Al Horford owner, I am selling right now. Um, Al Horford is having a bit of a renaissance here. He started off the season very slowly but over the course of his last over the course of the last 15 days he's averaging about 19 points to go along with about seven rebounds four and a half assists two steals and a block and a half and only playing 29 minutes per game and that's better production than anyone who took Al Horford this year would have expected to get but I want to go back to last year where when playing for the Philadelphia 76ers he averaged 12 points per game and six rebounds and about four assists. And the year before that, he averaged 14 points, seven rebounds and four assists. He's actually beating those, that production this year. Um, But I don't see it sustaining. I also don't imagine the thunder would not sell high on him or trade him to another team if they were presented the opportunity to do so. So that's one factor here, but really the Thunder have been in a bit of a sticky situation here lately. They've been playing with about eight or nine active players due to various injuries and some health and safety protocols. So I think now would be a great time to sell Al Horford while he's hot and while he's playing consistently and offering relevant fantasy value. I would absolutely agree with that. Although the thing with Al Horford is like his future is just so uncertain. If I own Al Horford, I would like to trade him just for the sake of not having having Al Horford on my team because I don't understand really where he is in his career right now. He he makes sense for a contender. He does not make sense for this team. But as far as his contract goes, it's going to be really difficult for a team that could use his services to actually be able to trade with him. So that's why I could actually see him sort of just playing off, off the year in OKC. And if he does that, I could expect the production to continue because I don't think last year with Philadelphia is a very good gauge for who he is as a player. Playing behind Joel Embiid is an awkward thing to make a center of Al Horford's caliber do. So based on uncertainty alone, yes, I would trade him, but I would not at all be surprised if the production just remained steady the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you got to sell Al Horford, and now is absolutely the time. As Dom pointed out, he's been red hot lately. I mean, those scoring averages, he hasn't touched for almost five years. I think, actually, he hasn't really touched close to 20 points a game since 2013, so it's been a long time. His minutes are at a career low right now. His usage is pretty low overall. He's missed eight of the 24 games of OKC, and I think he's going to be a big candidate for rest down the line. OKC is obviously not trying to win games. They want more, better draft picks. 
And Shane, you brought up the good point of the contract. He's just not tradable. Anyone that wants him, it's going to be really difficult to put the salary together to get him. He's owed $27.5 million, and the following $27 million, and then the final year in his contract, $26.5 million. It's just that doesn't seem possible to trade a guy of Horford's caliber with a salary that high. Um, I think he's shooting pretty well this year, but he doesn't get to the line. His age is really showing. I think while he's on this streak, sell him before he starts to go down or he starts to miss some games. Yeah, he's a, he's another veteran who doesn't play back-to-backs, which we've talked about at, at various lengths on here, about not wanting that on your team. But, I mean, those eight games he missed were due to the birth of his son, so it was nothing injury-related and nothing like no coaching decisions or anything. So that's not really a concern, but I agree. I mean, I don't think any contract at this point is untradeable. We just saw Westbrook and Wall get traded for each other earlier this year. Those were two unmovable, quote-unquote, contracts. So we'll see moving forward. I just think there's a lot of uncertainty, and his age definitely makes me think he won't keep this up. Um, Shane, who are you selling? The first player I'm selling is DeMar DeRozan. And it's sort of for a similar reason. It's just the uncertainty about the point he is right now in his career. One thing that he's got going for him is that he's majorly contributing to this Spurs team right now, which is in a playoff position. The problem is the teams right below him, below them, are the Denver Nuggets, the Golden State Warriors, the Sacramento Kings, the Dallas Mavericks, the Memphis Grizzlies, all teams that could very easily surpass the Spurs in the standings. And if that happens... It just doesn't make sense to play DeMar DeRozan that much. There's a lot of young guards on that team. DeMar DeRozan is currently averaging his lowest points per game since 2014-15. And unlike Al Horford, he's on an expiring contract, which is going to make it a lot easier to trade if anybody is looking for him. So I think there's a chance that this happens. Jeff, you're the owner of DeMar DeRozan in this chat. Uh, What do you think about him? Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I think I disagree with you there. I've been pretty pleased with the Rosen's production thus far. I do agree with the expiring contract, his talent, you know, somebody you can go to at the end of a shot clock at a bucket. That's something every team is looking for, right? So it's no, there's no doubt that he might have interest and might get traded. But for the past three or four years, he's always going to give you, you know, 20 to 23 points, five assists, five boards, maybe even more. He's got he's touched almost seven assists. Um, so he's got he's improved a lot as a passer since he left Toronto or really towards the back end of his Toronto career. So I just think he gives you good production across the board. Uh, he's shooting his most attempts from three this year in a while and making a higher percentage than he has. Uh, he's shooting 33 percent from three on two attempts, I believe, which is an anomaly for DeRozan. It's not good, but he's normally shooting maybe like 0.7 from uh, 0.7 attempts from three on 20 something percent. So I think he's given you about what you can expect. And it's also a relatively low usage year for him so far. So I think that if that usage goes up, especially if the Spurs are hunting that 10, nine seeds, stay relevant in the playoff tournament. I don't know if they will, but if that's something they're thinking about, I think they would be more likely to unload Aldridge than DeRozan personally. Uh, what, what happens there? I don't know. What's that? I said they'd be lucky if they could unload Aldridge. Yes, they would. Just think it's, if they want to get doesn't any, have a good contract. If they want to get any value out of trade season, DeRozan would have to be the guy. 
That is that is probably true. But I I am someone that with with DeRozan, I'm I'm relatively unconcerned. I think he's someone, although he's not a great fit, I think he's just going to go and get his buckets. He's a good enough player and passer that he'll he'll be able to figure out how he can fit within, even if the on paper it's not perfect, the spacing isn't great or whatnot. I think he's going to be able to figure it out. Dom, what what are your thoughts on DeRozan? I'm with Jeff on this one. I don't think you need to be rushing out to sell on him. He's averaging the lowest minutes per game in his career besides his rookie season in Toronto. He's only 31, so he might be a bit younger than people think he is. And he's averaging a career high in assists, which I think is important. He's not – he's willing to help the young players on the Spurs develop, and he's willing to buy into the system. He's not going out trying to – get one more big contract as you said he's on an expiring contract a lot of veterans in that situation would go out and just try to take over games he's averaging his lowest field goal attempts per game since 2009 which was also his rookie year so I like what I'm seeing from him and I would be surprised if the Spurs didn't like what they're seeing out of him as well I think he's contributing to them winning games he's still giving you 20 points per game while dishing at a career high rate he's not He's not taking up an absurd amount of minutes. He's not shooting inefficiently. He's not just chucking up shots. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs decided to keep him around. We saw them do that with Rudy Gay a couple years ago when we kind of thought they were going to do a rebuild and they handed him a nice two-year contract. And I could see them doing something similar. Um, Greg Popovich is 73 years old. I don't think he wants to completely rebuild. I think he wants some professional scorers and players on that team that can contribute to at least competing for the playoffs. And DeRozan's one of those guys. So I actually don't have concerns with him moving forward. I don't think you need to sell on him. I don't know if I'd say I have concerns. It's just that I simply don't see how he could go up from here. I really, I really imagine that the most likely direction he goes, if he doesn't stay the same is down. So I think if I, if I were to own him, I'd rather try to get some value out of him now than just see what happens the rest of the season. I, I think that's probably fair, but I think I think overall I'm always expecting a good twenty five and five from him. I think he can deliver that. And if I'm I, I just don't think that's too bad for a borderline elite all star type player for fantasy. I think that's getting you what you need fairly efficiently, you know, not too many turnovers, not too many uh missed free throws, whatnot, um, no ejections. No, he doesn't get a lot of minuses and he, he fills the board a lot. He shoots a pretty good percentage, even though he takes bad mid range jumpers, you know, those field goals attempted, they weigh you down. But I think I think he'll he's like you said, I think he's plateaued. He's probably not gonna get any better. But I, I'm not I don't think he's quite about to dip down. Maybe next year, but I think he'll hang tight for the rest of the year now. So, Dom, you're selling Al Horford. I am selling DeMar DeRozan. Jeff, who is your sell? My sell is another guy, actually, that I own in my own league, and that is Miles Turner. He got off to a red-hot start. We talked about him a little bit last time, I believe. Red-hot start, defensive player of the year candidate. Still defensive player of the year candidate. Don't get me wrong. But over the last two weeks, he's kind of regressed a little bit. His minutes have gone down blocks have gone down he's only had one game above three blocks since uh it became february which isn't crazy but he's averaging 3.5 blocks per game and was typically getting five blocks in a game once every two weeks so it's a little strange that's gone down and with him the problem is he's just never been a great rebounder or scorer 
He's never been able to create his own shot in the post or off the dribble. That's not how he plays. He's a little too weak inside to go get the rebounds. He doesn't get to the line, and he's shooting 31% from three the last two weeks and 33% over the season on a career-high 4.5 attempts. I just think if he's not getting you those blocks, which are worth four fantasy points a game, uh, or per block may I remind you guys, that his production can really struggle, especially if he's not hitting those threes and getting a decent amount of boards, which he struggles to do with Sabonis. I don't know what you guys think, but I just I think – Maybe it was a little bit of a flash in the pan in the beginning, and now he's falling back to earth a little bit. Yeah, Miles Turner has led the NBA in blocks before, so it wasn't super surprising to see him get off to a hot start defensively. But as Jeff said, that's the only place where he'll give you consistent value. Early on in the year, he was giving pretty good scoring numbers. I wouldn't expect those to keep up. I like Miles Turner as a player, but next is a bonus. It's always been a questionable fit at best. And he definitely has fallen off here the last little bit, really since February started. He hasn't reached 30 minutes in his last four games played, which is concerning as well. I'd agree with selling on Miles Turner, but given his recent performances, you might want to hold on for a week or two and hope he gets hot, has a hot couple games, so his value recoups a little bit because if you're offering him in a trade right now and someone's looking at his recent games they may be a little hesitant but I agree with you if you can get value from for Miles Turner I'd do it just based on the fact that his minutes seem to fluctuate a little bit he's not consistent on the offensive side of the ball and he's playing next to Sabonis who's just a top 30 player in the league and deserves all the runway in Indiana to be their best big man Yeah, I think what happened at the beginning of the season was just a little too good to be true with Miles Turner. Jeff, you said it when you said he just is falling back down to earth. I remember at one point he had a game with eight blocks and not too long after that he had a game with like, um, or no, I'm sorry, he had a game with six blocks and two games later he had a game with five blocks. And that's really where most of the production was coming from because that just does so much in fantasy. So... Yeah, there's there's no question that that's not going to be able to keep up. He's not going to average four blocks per game the entire season. And, Dom, like you said, playing next to Sabonis has been a problem for a while now. There's been trade rumors about him every year. And if we step out of fantasy for a second, talk about selling when they're hot, um, now might be the year that the Pacers actually do find a way to trade him and find somebody who fits better next to DeMontis Sabonis. Um but, yeah, he's just, he's just not the guy who's going to go give you real offensive production. Everything came on the defensive end. So, on games where that's not happening, he really isn't that great on fantasy, and we're, and we're watching him sort of slide. So, let's move to who we want to buy right now. Some players that we think can only go up from here. Uh, Dom, let's start with yours because I actually really like this pick. Yeah, I'm buying John Morant, and the reason for that is I think what he showed last year as a rookie proved that he'll be a superstar one day in the NBA. I firmly believe that. That's assuming good health and all of those things, of course. But he hasn't reached the 20-point plateau in over a month now, which may be concerning some fantasy owners. He's shooting – his percentages have completely dipped from last year. He 
shot 48% from the field last year. He's shooting 46% this year, which is comparable. It's not that far off. But he's only shooting 28% from three after shooting 34% as a rookie. And that's something I would expect to increase here going down the stretch. He's actually averaging more points this year, which may surprise some people because it kind of feels like he's not performing at as high of a level as last year. But I think he's sort of been a victim of Jaron Jackson Jr. being out. I kind of liked what they formed last year. And I think once he gets Jaron Jackson Jr. back, the court could open up and he'll have more opportunities to dish, even though he is averaging assists a game. So he's still giving you value there. But I just think with the lower shooting percentages and the inability he's shown to score consistently well, I think you could buy low on him right now. I don't think this will be – I don't think this is equitable to what his value will be at the end of the season. And I think now is the time to buy John Morant. You hit pretty much all my marks with the three-point percentage dipping. I think that's going to come back up. Missing Jaron Jackson Jr., who's a major part of what they do on offense. So I absolutely see John Morant going up. Another one, you said that it doesn't feel like he's been playing himself, even though he's averaging more points per game this year. I think the reason it doesn't feel like that is because the Grizzlies themselves have only played 20 games because of a lot of COVID things. And he has only played 12 of those 20 games. That's really not a lot. So that's why it feels at this point in the season, you have a guy who's only played 12 games and feels like he hasn't been there. Well, he really, he really just hasn't. So I absolutely see him going up. I think there's a lot of people that probably undervalue him because they just haven't realized how little he's even seen the court. So I 100% agree. I would buy on John Morant right now. Yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I mean, Ja, he's been a little cooler lately. As you mentioned, Dom, he hasn't crossed the 20-point plateau recently, which is a pretty important threshold for a star point guard, star player that you want the ball in their hands. You want them to get to 20. But his in the last three games, he's had 11 assists and then nine and the two before that. So that's encouraging at least. And his usage is up a little bit. And as you mentioned, his shots are shot percentages are down a little bit. And that's not too too worrisome. You mentioned the threes, 28% last or this year, 34% this year. Uh, I switched that. 28% this year, 34% last year. And then in college, he was a 30% as a freshman and 36% from deep as a sophomore. So they're not amazing. No one thinks he's going to be a dame or a stuff with that jumper. But I think a serviceable jumper is expected. And I think that he can get that back up to a 33, 34, 35. He might need a few hot streaks in there, but I don't think he's going to be shooting 28% from three when the season ends. All that being said, I think, I think he was really good in the beginning. You know, you look at his first two games, he had 44 and nine and 28 and seven. And then he went on a huge hiatus from, as you mentioned, Shane, the injuries and the COVID, he didn't play for two weeks between uh, December 28th and January 16th. And then between January 16th and January 30th, he only played one game on the 18th. So I think once he finds a little bit of a rhythm, he'll go up. It was my um, my understanding that he seems to gotten a little bit better control of the game and it slowed down for him, it seems like. He seems to make those reads really well. I know he had an outstanding preseason with a bunch of assists and little turnovers. So I think now's the time to buy on Ja while he's scoring low because sooner or later that's going to go up. Like you said, Dom, once JJJ's back, there's less attention on him. Maybe that pick and pop gets going. 
maybe even once Justice Winslow returns, who knows? Maybe that'll help take some pressure off of him. But I, I think Jaw is going to explode sooner rather than later. And we also know that John ja Morant, his game is not the three-point line. He's, he's perfectly capable of hitting it. But what he likes to do is drive to the basket. And right now they're missing J.J. Day, who is the consummate stretch big and exactly who you want playing next to a guy like John ja Morant. So when he's got a little bit more room to roam, a better ability to get to the paint, I think he's going to do what we all know he's capable of, which is having 30, 40 point games. He's that good without a doubt. So Jeff, why don't we get your buy next? Sure. So my buy is a uh, another young guard here and uh, that's going to be Devin Booker. I think we touched on him again last week a little bit. So I'm double dipping again here, but I thought Booker was one of the perfect candidates for this. Uh, I actually just had a conversation with someone who was wanting to trade him and did trade him after I told him he shouldn't. However, uh, I just, I think Booker, he's just having maybe a little bit of an off year or an off start. I mean, if there's going to be any year that you have it, it's going to be in the COVID year, right? Things are different. Protocols different. Your routines aren't the same. So maybe it's a little fluky year for him. All that being said though, Chris Paul came, that's the obvious change to the Suns, right? So with Chris Paul, they went from the 10th highest pace in the league last year to now the second slowest. It's a pretty big jump, but that always happens with Chris Paul teams. He slows the pace down. You get good shots in the half court. That's typical. The weirdest thing is that they're positive whenever Booker or CP3 are alone on the court or without each other. But whenever they are together, they're actually negative on the court, which is weird. So you think Booker is going to get all of his results when he's on the court without CP3 running the offense himself. Um, his percentages are down a little bit, but they're not crazy down as shooting percentages. You know, he shot – actually, he's shooting 0.01% better from three this year, but his two-point percentage is down. And the biggest thing for me I see, free throw attempts are down two, and he's shooting 10% less. That right there is three extra points that he's losing from the free throw line that he had last year. And he's also averaging two and a half less assists. That that's some big production that with Chris Ball having the ball in his hands, it's difficult for him to get. But I think he's gonna be able to figure this out as the year goes on and get back to playing off ball because he really hasn't played off ball since his rookie year or his year in Kentucky. So I think he'll get back to it. He just needs to make some adjustments and figure out how him and CP3 really gel and mesh together on the court. It's really interesting that they actually have a worse rating together. That's one, that's one thing I did not know. Um, although I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you a little bit and say I'm not buying Devin Booker at this point in the season. I love really? Devin Booker as a player. I think he's improved. But from a fantasy standpoint, now I'm not saying there's any risk. He can definitely get better. I'm sure he'll get slightly better. But – one, the two things that stuck out to me the most when I was looking at his numbers was that his usage rate has not dropped, despite Chris Paul being there, and his field goal percentage has not dropped. You mentioned the pace. I think that's a big part of it. They're just, there's less possessions per game for this team. But I don't think that's going to change because they're actually winning now. So I don't see the pace changing and him going back to having more opportunities to get those numbers because – they don't need to change the pace. They're a really good team right now. They just down to the Bucks last night. And in that game last night, he had 30 points, six rebounds, and three assists, which for me is a good game from Devin Booker. That game was only 36 Absolutely. fantasy points. That's only 36 fantasy points. So I'm happy if Devin Booker drops 30 points, but 
just because of his play style and his lack of impact on defense, he's really not going to give you a lot of crazy fantasy outputs unless he does a lot of things he doesn't usually do. So last year, his fantasy points per game was at 41, and this year it's all the way down to 34. So again, I'm not saying there's any risk in buying for him. I think he will go up a little bit. But in the last 15 days, his stat line is 26 points, four rebounds, and four assists, which is, I think, as good as we could expect it to be through the remainder of the season, which with slight changes. Um, And in those last 15 days, he's only averaging 37 fantasy points per game. So I don't see him breaking 40 uh, for the rest of the season. I'm buying on Devin Booker, and here's why. I think the dip in his fantasy production this year was largely tied to his decrease in assists. He went from six and a half last year. He's at 4.2 this year, and that's to be expected with Chris Paul. Chris Paul will be handling the ball probably a majority of the time for them. Um, so that production, I expect to go down. His scoring has also taken a dip slightly, but his efficiency really hasn't, and his field goal attempts really haven't gone down either. He's not getting to the free throw line as much, and I think that is also tied to Chris Paul being there. But what Jeff said about them being a positive net rating with Chris Paul and Devin Booker by themselves on the court, let's not forget Chris Paul's last two years with the Rockets – he missed 24 games each of those two years. And the year before that, he missed 21 games. That's a good point. So that's about a fourth of the season that he missed in three straight seasons. I know that was not a cons- it was not an issue last year when he was playing for the Thunder. He played a vast majority of those games. But he's 35 years old. I don't expect his durability to get better with age. And I would expect him to, at some point this season, miss some time, whether that's some veteran rest days or if the injury bug does catch up to him again. He's averaging the most points per game he's averaged since he was 30 in 2015-16 with the Clippers. He's going to slow the pace down. That's what Chris Paul does, and they're smart to do that because it's leading to winning basketball. And Devin Booker might not be giving you the assist production that he was giving you last year. His scoring might be down a little bit. But I expect Chris Paul to miss some basketball games this year. And when he does, Devin Booker's value will be, I think, at least what it was last year when he put up 27-7-4 and every night. So that's why I would buy on Devin Booker going down the stretch here. I certainly wouldn't advise anyone not to buy him. I just – as a, if I owned Devin Booker right now, I would be valuing him significantly higher than where he's at right now. And I don't think he's going to improve by that much the rest of the season. If he were to average, say, 26, 5, and 4 for the rest of the season, which would be a step up from where he's at right now, still just his play style, that doesn't get him higher than about 37 fantasy points per game. So I I just wouldn't go crazy thinking that he's going to do what he used to because that's just not what this Suns team is anymore. They're trying to get DeAndre Aiden involved a lot more. They're trying to get him a lot more touches. They've got the veteran leadership from Chris Ball influencing their style of play. Mikal Bridges and Cameron Johnson have both taken big steps. Um, so Devin Booker's doesn't need – he's just not that guy anymore. He doesn't need to carry this team the way he did before. I think all around the team has gotten better. Do you guys have any final thoughts on Booker there? All right. No, no. I think, I think that's a good point. Yeah, go ahead. So my last buy is Lonzo Ball. 
I have been waiting for him to get better. And I think just recently he's showing that he's ready to do it. Still just 23 years old. He's down from seven assists and six rebounds per game to 4.7 assists and 4.4 rebounds per game this year. I think both of those numbers go up by the end of the season. His three-point shooting was god-awful to start the year, but in the last 15 days, he's making 3.7 three-pointers per game. And in the last seven days, he's averaging 18 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. So I think he's finally doing what he's capable of. I don't know if the rest of the season, Dom, I'm going to turn over to you first because you've got a steadier beat on what's going on in New Orleans. I don't know what is going to be the rest of the season for him, whether it'll be in New Orleans or somewhere else. But I think he is on his way up, and he should be. And I project it to continue the rest of the season. It's definitely a situation to monitor. The Pelicans have a pretty big decision coming up with him because he's a restricted free agent this offseason, and they sort of have to figure out if he's the third guy that they want next to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I would expect him to fetch around $20 million per year on the free agent market. And the Pelicans kind of have to decide if they want to give that to him. They need to decide really by the trade deadline so they could at least get value back for him if they decide not to bring him back. He's definitely been playing better, and as a result, the Pelicans have been winning games. They just had a five-game winning streak before losing to Chicago last night. And I didn't see this coming. I know in our last pod I – sort of said don't expect him to turn it around and what's he done he's turned it around so you're welcome for that I know he's on your fantasy team but I don't know I I don't know he his three-point percentage is back up already after really dipping early on in the year it doesn't hurt as you said he's only 23 he's got a lot of upside in his game I've liked Lonzo since he came out of college and I still think he could be a good defensive player although he still struggled at times at times on that side of the ball I don't really expect his assist to go up, but the Pelicans just run too much of their offense through Brandon Ingram. He has the ball way too much for Lonzo to be effective. Really in the half court, Lonzo is not the point guard. It's really Ingram handling the ball. Lonzo is more of the fast break transition guy that they trust in those situations. But his scoring could definitely go up. It was really low to start the year, and I definitely expect it to be closer to where it is now than it was then. And they need him to play well to keep winning, and he needs to – go earn a contract so yeah I think all those factors considered I would buy on Lonzo now although you may have missed the mark by a couple weeks here because you could have gotten him for a lot less two weeks ago I don't know Jeff, I don't know real quick I don't know if he is the guy for that trio I think their fit is a little clunky but like you said the biggest problem with his game has been the ball dominance of Brandon Ingram even without having the ability to bring his assists up in the last 15 days, Lonzo Ball is averaging 39 fantasy points per game. So you might be right. We might have missed the mark a little bit, but still his overall season numbers have not looked great. I I think this would be a great time to buy him. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I mean, now now is definitely the time to buy with Lonzo. And um, Dom, I thought you brought up a few interesting points. Uh, First, I want to talk about um, which you mentioned with him handling the ball is in how Stan has pretty much come outright and said that Ingram is basically the point guard in the half court, correct? And then Lonzo, they give it to in transition to make those plays. Are there something with the way Lonzo, I mean, not being able to get his own shot, it makes it a little harder for him to create for others as well, even yeah, though he does have the vision. And, and the reason for that, Stan did say that um, 
Lonzo isn't good in the pick and roll in the half court. It, statistically, it's his worst area offensively. You can go under the really the last couple of years. Well, maybe so not. It's just not mm-hmm. as effective as when it's Ingram and Zion running it, which is why Ingram's handling the ball for them in the half court. Mm-hmm. But so to continue, so he hasn't gotten that point guard opportunity he has in the past. So his assists have been well down. Um, but when we talk about the shooting, just since the new year, since January 1st, Lonzo's shooting 40% from three. They only played five games before that. So like we talked about, it was really the beginning that everyone just kind of overreacted to the poor shooting. I think his poor performance in the bubble didn't help that after the year before that and then going to the bubble and kind of stinking it up and the Pelicans stinking it up. It wasn't a good look for him to come out and shoot poorly in the first few games. But since January 1st, he's got 14 points. He's got four rebounds, five assists. That's really not too bad for a starting combo wing guard. I don't know what you call him at this point. I guess kind of a point guard. But I I think his production is going to be there. I think the shooting is going to continue around high 30s, possibly even continuing at 40. He gives you potential with steals. He gives you rebounds and assists which i i always go for well-rounded players so the fact that he can get you both on any night he could get you a 10 10 of each of those on any night you know when he was a rookie he averaged seven and seven he just doesn't have those opportunities now to do that um but i agree now now's the time to go get lonzo all right so let's get started on our favorite game to play and that's would you rather our candidates today are zach levine and kyrie irving who have both shown some very, very high-scoring abilities in the recent weeks. Jeff, you are always so opinionated when it comes to things involving Kyrie Irving. So I want to hear who would you would rather out of these two first. I, I just want to clarify real quick before I make my choice. This is from a fantasy owner perspective, Correct. correct? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to look at fantasy the rest of this year and then beyond this year. So. Okay. okay, good. Just wanted to make sure before I pick Zach Levine. Um, so I am going to pick Zach Levine. In real life, there's no chance I would do that. I don't think he's a better player than Kyrie. Of course I don't. But I think this just goes on opportunity. You know, Zach Levine, the past three years, his scoring average continues to go up. All while the efficiency continues to go up. He's shooting eight uh, attempts from three this year on 42.5% from deep. That's pretty good. Shooting uh, shooting 59% on two-pointers, uh, 52% overall. High uh, Career high in assists, career high in scoring, career highs across the board. He's having a really good year. The Bulls need him to do literally anything on the offensive end. He's their total lifeline. They don't win unless he gets almost 30 they don't compete unless he gets almost 30, really. And Kyrie, I mean, he's got two MVPs on his team that, for the most part, need the ball. Obviously, we all know Harden's usage rate history, and KD is best on ball. So although he can really blow up, and of course Kyrie can really blow up, and he has had a few of those games since Harden's got there, I just think Zach Levine is a safer choice to do it on a consistent night, night-to-night basis. Dom, who's your pick? This is kind of a sore spot. Zach Levine just dropped 46 points against my Pelicans last night. Oh, him, he did him, against me in fantasy, so. Him and Kobe White could not be stopped, and Denzel Valentine. They all went off. 
I agree with you. I'm going to go Zach Levine. Um, I was going to use availability here as one of my main points, but both of these players have missed a lot of games in their career due to injury. But I think it's opportunity as well. I still expect a bit of a drop-off from Kyrie due to the acquisition of Harden. We haven't seen it yet. I just think eventually something's going to have to give in that situation. He's averaging more. He's averaging a career high in points per game. And I just don't see how that's sustainable playing next to Kevin Durant and James Harden. Zach Levine is also averaging a career high in points per game. And I can definitely see that staying. But as you said, the bulls need him to do anything offensively. He's shooting ridiculous efficient with ridiculous efficiency, 43% from three 52% from the field. He's just an offensive machine, and I don't really see him slowing down. He's got – he's, what, three years younger than Kyrie Irving? Yeah, he's 25. Kyrie's 28. And I just think there's a higher trajectory potentially for Zach Levine from a fantasy standpoint. Um, I just see – I don't see Kyrie Irving going up from here. He might not go down, but I kind of expect him to. And I don't – Zach Levine's definitely not going to go down for me. If anything, he could go up, especially on – the Bulls who are competing for one of those play-in spots and don't have anyone else to score the basketball consistently. So I'm also going to go Zach Levine for the rest of this season from a fantasy perspective. I'm actually going to agree with you two as well. I'm a little afraid that the two... Oh, I thought you were going to zag. I, I thought about it. I thought very, very long about it. And the reason is because I'm a little bit afraid that this is recency bias. Zach Levine has dropped... 30 points or more in his last three games. Actually, all of those games, more than 35 points. And before that, he hadn't hit 30 for a couple games. And when he doesn't hit 30, his fantasy point, his fantasy production usually isn't great. But he's just doing it so efficiently. And I think, Dom, you said it best when you said something's eventually got to give in Brooklyn. Um, Kyrie just can't keep doing it the way he has been. And the other problem with Kyrie is that apparently you never know when he's just going to decide he doesn't want to play basketball for a week or two. I'd say there's, I would not be that surprised if another time this season Kyrie misses time because of some weird mistake he made, especially in, in with the COVID protocols. I think Zach Levine's much more committed to his team than Kyrie is. And I believe we will see that the rest of the way in fantasy. If I had to choose who would average the most the rest of the way, I would go Zach Levine. And if it was a keeper league, I would also I would also stick with Zach Levine. The one caveat with this is that as a Bulls fan, and this is coming from a well-informed Bulls fans, most Bulls fans won't agree with me with, on this, but I still kind of would like to see us entertain trade talks for Zach Levine. I just – I love what he can do on offense, but he's not – He's not the number one guy on a team. I don't know what Arturis Karnasovas is going to do. From a business standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense to trade somebody with that entertainment value. But that could lead to some uncertainty in Zach Levine's future if he ends up in what I think is his best role, which is the second or third guy to a, a two-sided player or a, or, a, or a really great big that can protect the paint. That's where I think he – he should end up if he wants to be the best player he can be. But for now, on the Bulls, where they are right now, yeah, 
I think Zach Levine is a safer bet than Kyrie Irving to stay consistent with it. I have a question. You're both Bulls fans, and I live here in Chicago. I'm on Zach Levine's basketball reference page, and one of his nicknames on here is Young Hollywood. Has anyone heard that before? Oh, yeah, dude. I call him that all the time. (laughs) All right, good. Brand, brand maybe. I'm not crazy. Someone's got to start monitoring these things on basketball reference. It's getting out of hand. It's like Wikipedia. You can put anything on there. I'd also like to know where he got that nickname from. Um, do you two have either any like free agent additions or something that you wanted to bring up before we wrap it up? I think if you're looking for someone to get a few games out of right now, um, I have like a really deep sleeper on this, but I would recommend taking a look at Kendrick Williams. He's owned in about 2% of leagues, but the Thunder are absolutely annihilated right now. Um, they don't have a lot of active players. and He played 40 minutes their last game and scored 24 points and six rebounds. And before that, his last two previous games, he averaged eight and a half rebounds and about eight and a half points. So he's giving you some production and he's most definitely available in your league. So if you need just like a streamer for the rest of this week or until Shea and Maladon return, I would recommend looking at Kendrick Williams. You know, I was going to text you yesterday – and ask when he ended up on the Thunder, because I honestly did not know he found his way over to Oklahoma City that this offseason. Yeah, he was part of the trade that we executed to get George Hill to Oklahoma City. He was kind of a throw-in to make the salaries work. Gotcha, gotcha. Jeff, did you have anybody you wanted to bring up? Uh, yeah, I have two. First of all, um, similar to what Don said, I'll go with uh, Hamdu Diallo. He's not a... Uh, terribly well hit secret at this point anymore i think he was at the beginning of the season but now he's owned in 24.7 percent of espn league so starting to tick upwards a little bit but he, he's been on fire lately he hasn't scored below 15 points in the last one two three seven games he scored 15 plus even throwing in some double digit rebounds one game of 10 assists plus i didn't think he had the talent to do that personally i thought he was just a leaper um, but he's showing that his game's expanding a little bit. Uh, and with some Thunder guys out, he's getting an opportunity to go off a little bit. He's impressed me. And the other one would be uh, Kendrick Nunn. And he's a guy that is a very polarizing fantasy player because he either is quite good or quite bad. Uh, with Goron out the last few games, he's been pretty solid. 25 points, 16 points, 11 points, uh, 10 so far. So, you know, he can always get buckets, maybe throw in a few assists or a few boards there, especially if uh, the Heat's backcourt is beaten down a little bit. He's going to get you a decent amount of opportunity that night. Yeah, um, I would agree. I, right now, am very much monitoring Carmelo Anthony, um, only because I just looked in my league, in my other league right now, and he's available. Um, It looks like he is rostered in 36% of leagues, so chances are – He's not worth an addition in many of those leagues, but he has the ability to score a lot of points. It's simple as that. And on a, on a Portland team that needs somebody who can score points right now. So I'm definitely monitoring his situation. Um, beyond that, I, I think the free agent market's pretty dry right now. I didn't have a lot of players I was too interested in. That That is a very deep find by Dom there on Kendrick Williams. Kendrick Williams. Yeah, 2%. Yeah, we'll that's look at him sell. for sure. 
See how right down through that to be. Is that why you brought that segment up? No, I actually didn't know who I was going to select there, but <laughs> I just I had to go to Oklahoma City. You have to find the teams this year who are either hit by COVID or injuries, and yeah, um, they're one of the teams right now. They have eight to nine active guys on a given yeah. night recently. Isaiah so. Roby was good on there for a while too. Like they have guys that just pop up and give you a few good games and then fall into the background well, again. Exactly. So those are those are the teams you need to go. I mean. The odds at this point in the season of finding someone who's going to stick on your roster for the entire year are pretty low. So you really just need to stream a roster spotter. I mean, we all need it with injuries and COVID. So um, sometimes you got to dig deep. In addition to the teams that are being hit with injuries and COVID, you also just have to look at teams' current status in in their rebuild. Um, Because there's always young guys that pop up at the end of the season after the trade deadline. So that's something with the trade deadline definitely. just a little less than a month away, I believe, in the NBA. Uh, definitely something you want to look at ahead of time. There are veteran players that could be leaving holes. Uh, I think we actually talked about this on a pod already. If if they do find a trade partner for Al Horford, Isaiah Roby is an easy pickup, without a doubt. Um, yeah. Yeah. Every time Horford's out, Roby goes up. Well, I don't want to say off. He produces. He, he goes a little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's definitely Jesus. something we're probably going to want to talk about uh, on our next pod with the trade mill just sort of starting to uh, heat up. We got names like Kyle Lowry even on the market, supposedly. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll monitor that situation as it goes and talk about who could be the benefactors of whatever potential moves there might be. Other than that... It's been great talking with you guys, as always. Um, somehow we continue through the most convoluted fantasy season we'll ever have to face, hopefully. Other than that, thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure. Uh, reach out to the Real Ballers Club Fantasy Pod on Twitter if you have any suggestions or questions. More than happy to uh, help you out. Or if you got any suggestions for the pod, we will oblige. Uh yeah, give us some give us some would you rather. I'd love to hear what yeah. people want to hear. That's our like like I said many times, that's our favorite game to play. So have a wonderful day or night, whatever time it is you may be listening. And goodbye.